It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Yeah, you know, uh, the day after September 11th, and I got to tell you, uh, Julie, it was interesting for me because I was in Boston yesterday and I never get apprehensive about flying. Uh, and, and it was last week when I knew that this trip approaching and something just dawned on me and it said, you have to actually return home on September 11th. And I've never flown on September 11th since the tragedy in 2001. And so it was a little interesting yesterday, Julie, because when we were in the airport, they made all of the TSA agents and other airport personnel to stop in a moment of silence. So it's been an interesting week. It's been a moving week. I appreciated my time in Boston and shout out to the Clear Company for the good work that they are doing and for allowing me to come and rock uh, the room a bit about diversity uh, through my Dinosaurs, Lions and Diversity presentation. Nice. Look like you had a good show. Glad you're back home, at least for a couple of days. Uh, actually a couple hours. I'm gone. <laughs> but, Welcome to fall conference season. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. How are you? Um, things are going great. Really busy, busy, busy at work and with call, uh, fall conference season coming up as well. So hitting the road really for the next six to eight weeks, uh, without a break, but pumped up and then I'll be ready for, uh, the holiday. Yeah. So anything happening interesting in your week? Uh, has anything incredible, anything enlightening, anything that's worth sharing happened for you? It actually it did. This week, I went to a northern suburb to attend a conversation about the book White Fragility, which we talked, we've talked about on our show a couple of times. And Dr. Jensen mentioned uh, it was definitely worth the read. I think you've read it, right? Yeah. And for those of you who are listening, you're not familiar. It's a book by Robin D'Angelo, D. I-A-N-G-E-L-O. Go ahead. How was the uh, session? Uh, it was incredible. A predominantly white community who's had some issues with equality around LGBTQ rights. Um, they have some very built-in racism uh, underlying right to the community. And it was mostly white women, but the room was packed. I mean, this was seven o'clock on a Tuesday night and the room was full, almost full enough that they were going to have to turn people away. There were a couple of, of black women who came to be supporters and to have conversation and a couple of men. What really struck me is it almost torn was like when I started reading the heart of whiteness and had this sort of moment when I realized that we live in a white supremacist society and it's like the shades just fell off my eyes. And to watch all of these women, a lot of them were educators, um, attorneys, established leaders in the community, and all of a sudden the blinders have come off of them. One lady in particular, she was she was ashamed. It, she wept in the room because she had waited until she was in her 50s to have her eyes open to what it was like to not be white. Yeah, well, I mean, again, for a lot of people, Julie, it's... <sighs> 
it really is eye opening because for for so many individuals and we're talking millions and upon millions upon millions of people, when you get to move through life and you don't have the impediments, you don't have the baggage, you don't have people uh, scrutinizing uh, your appearance, you don't have people calibrating your voice and the tenor and the tone, you don't have folks taking advantage of you typically in the medical system and, and how I mean, we've done this. Uh, a number of times before. And so when you are not faced with that, and that's why I often say that one powerful word is proximity. And and when you're not faced with those scenarios, it, it takes a reckoning. It takes that example. You have to be in proximity with that. And I'm glad I, I wanted to go back to something you said. Why was the room full? You know, are these uh, or, or did you uncover political leanings of these individuals? Did you uncover that these people had experienced something in the workplace, in their community uh, that forced them to think or be curious differently? Why do you believe or why did you learn that the room was full on this past Tuesday? So from what I could tell, it's really related to some challenges that the school board has had around LGBTQ equality. And that has kind of sparked this larger conversation about equality in this community. And like a lot of white suburban women, they've been moved by the current political atmosphere for the first time they're feeling they have to do something to keep the country going in the momentum that they want it to. And it's forced them outside of this comfort zone and it's super uncomfortable for them. And it's really hard to kind of accept. And in white fragility, as opposed to saying we're from a white supremacist society, the premise is that well, all white people are racist and not racist in the, the terminology or white supremacist in the way that we demonize it, but in the privilege of being able to have institutions and systems that are built to your advantage and you being so ingrained and comfortable in those systems that you don't even have to notice that you're not white. Whereas people of color, every room they go into, like you said, they're always code switching. They have to adjust who they are to acclimate to the white in the room, potentially. And there was a couple of people that really pushed back and you could tell there was some anger in, in some people because they just could not grapple with that terminology, the racist terminology. And I, I kind of chimed in at that point and said, the terms racism and white supremacy have been used as a tool to inoculate the general white population from having to act. I'm not a racist. I'm not a white supremacist in the terms that we think about it. So I'm good. I don't have to do anything. And there were a lot of people still struggling with that, but they were listening and they were talking intentionally and thoughtfully, which I thought was, I think it's big progress that 50 odd people sat in a room to talk about a book about their whiteness. And so wrapping that up, I was talking, I went with my sister-in-law and I was talking to her after. And you remember one of our first shows when we talked about transportation and the Koch brothers and the alliance with Sherm and all of that, right? This is one of those communities that has fought public transportation tooth and nail because they don't want, air quotes, poor people or criminals coming into their suburban bubble. Yep. And so what I challenged her on, I said, it doesn't 
matter how open or woke that you are right now if you don't take action. If you're not supporting public transportation, then you don't want your kids to grow up in a diverse community. If you're not out there challenging the vote and talking to your leaders in the school board about what needs to happen, then you're not interested in growing up your kids growing up in a, in a diverse community. So let's sit back and wait a year and see where these women are when it comes to hard issues that actually impact their privilege versus just talking about their privilege. No, you're absolutely right. And I mean, again, it, it really is a fine line because uh, I like to see, for the most part, the best in individuals. And, and so I'd like to see that uh, your sister-in-law wants to simply protect the neighborhood. I think about the 1619 project and they uh, part of the uh, uh, one of the installations around highway systems and traffic systems and transportation systems uh, inside of Atlanta. And I suspect that it's probably the very same overlay and footprint in some other areas. And to this day, they're still fighting some of those battles. And um, and, and quite frankly, if we if we look around certain cities, we, we can see what what has happened to communities when people do not care. I don't necessarily know if we can see what happens to communities if we're allowing people to just simply transit through them. But I do know that we can see in certain communities, communities of all colors all races, all ethnicities, all geographic locations. We see what happens when you simply have people that don't care in the community. And so I would just challenge, you know, your sister-in-law, I'm just similar to as you did, you know, how much are you willing to stand up when it's time for you to really stand up? How much concession are you willing to make when concession is necessary so that we can achieve overall progress? I always say it, that greater humanity type progress. So yeah, man, I'm glad that you were able to get up there and listen, you know, for our listeners, it really is a good book. Robin D'Angelo does a great time. It's a New York Times bestseller, 12 chapters, if you will. Uh, I listened to it on an audible version, but she really talks about the emotions of anger, fear, and guilt, really that a lot of white people display when we talk like Julie just exampled. And that's what Robin talks about in the book. And, and what I'm encouraging, imploring our listeners to consider is don't be fragile. Don't take defense. Just simply be quiet and listen. And if if you are going to speak, speak in a way that says, I'm curious, I want to learn more. I don't necessarily feel like it's me, but I'm willing to shift and think about uh, how am I operating inside of this and how does my operating impact other people? So I'm glad that you were able to do that. Yeah, me too. So what uh, what else have we got on tap for this week's show? All right, God. So I am going to do something a little bit different. Hopefully you'll vibe with me. I'm going to actually hit a stopwatch over here. And instead of our talking about a story for for a long period of time, why don't we just hit a couple of stories? So I'm going to hit my stopwatch. I'm going to give us on the low side, three minutes. If it's good, I may go five minutes, but I'm going to talk about a story I found on Fast Company and it's titled, Doctors Can't Wait to Get Their Hands on Apple Watch Data. And really what Apple is talking about uh, in this story, Julie, is that they have three new health studies uh, that they released at their big annual event earlier this year. And really what it does is it positions 
positions the Apple Watch as a data collector versus a medical device. And so the three studies that the watch is going to focus on are women's menstruation and overall health, everyday noise exposure and hearing loss, and the relationship between movement and heart health. Now, I'm not going to go into the entire uh, article. It's about a seven minute read over on Fast Company Magazine. What I do want to say is that the Apple Watch really could, according to the article, and I believe it could answer a lot of questions around health. And all three of the studies come with some big name partners, Harvard, American Heart Association, and the World Health Organization. Here's where the rub is for me. Will we use this data that's going to be collected? And it's a massive amount of data. Will we use this data for the betterment of black and brown communities. I'm not shying away from or hoping that they don't use it for other communities. But when I think about Tuskegee, when I think about so many other medical experiments that have been performed on, when I think about Henrietta Lacks, you know, her cells being used over and over and over and over again all around the world for monetary gain by Johns Hopkins University right here in Baltimore. And yet her family never knew this. I think about how black and brown people have been demonized and they have been taken advantage of. I'm just hoping and wondering if this uh, this new thing with Apple is going to be to our benefit. Yeah, I'm an Apple geek. So I was watching the the announcement yesterday with with Tim Cook and all of that good stuff. And I love my Apple Watch. It, it helps me a lot with my anxiety, believe it or not. Okay. There are some pieces and parts in terms of the health data. I mean, I'm healthy, but it helps me to see that I'm healthy, I guess. So that's the way it helps my anxiety and helps me with breathing and meditation and those kind of things. And so I think there are a lot of benefits for people with disabilities, especially with potential heart issues that they can share that information with their doctor. They can keep track of stressors, all of those kind of things. But I agree wholeheartedly that I am very concerned about how the data gets used how it potentially is weaponized against diverse populations. Not even so much as, you know, the individual, but collectively, if people with disabilities are displaying these tendencies or black or brown people are displaying these tendencies and that information can be collected and anonymized, can it impact our insurance rates? You know, all of those kind of things that you have to think of when you give access to your data on top of touring the very serious things and the serious disadvantages and that black people have experienced through the last 200 years regarding their health data and, and experimentation and things that I really have no business kind of being able to even talk about at this point. It's an overall concern. They're definitely good. And I think they're definitely bad. Yeah. Especially since you said 200 years, Julie, I don't know if we've really been treated well. 400 years. uh, For all 400 years that we've been here. And so, you know, that minor correction is an extremely important correction and you used the right word weaponized. And and so we all are at to some degree um, subject to that weaponization, if you will. But I believe that um, that's just more of a reason for organizations like Apple and others, these organizations that are going to be uh, creating apps and, you know, API related applications tying into these systems in this process to make sure that your development teams, your leadership teams, your, your boards of 
of directors and everyone else are diverse in composition. Four minutes, 57 seconds. Pretty good for us. What's your story? Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency. It was about 30 days ago. They sent letters to people who are in this country and they have chronic medical conditions that can't be treated in their own country. So they've been given basically medical visas for treatment. So they told them they have 33 days to get out. Yeah, Their visas are being revoked. No consideration for potential health impact. Uh, it would include death. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. That the vast majority of people who have these visas will die within months if they're removed from the United States. And so this is not just a brown issue. So a lot of these immigrants are coming from Um, South and Central America. They have rare diseases. They have received treatments on a regular basis. Most of them are privately insured or they are part of clinical trials that actually go on to create and have created FDA approved medicines that now treat and prolong the lives of Americans who have similar diseases. And they testified before Congress actually on September 11th as well. They don't have resolution. They don't know if in the next few days they're going to lose both their citizen or their immigration visas and their lives. And a lot of these people are children um, who have lived in the United States nearly their entire lives. Uh, One boy from Honduras, and if he is taken back to Honduras, he will die within months. Another from Guatemala has lived here for over 16 years. And this is the only country they know. This is really ableism, right? This is beyond racism. This is ableism as well. This is completely and fully discounting the life of a person with a disability as less than potentially because they're black or brown or potentially because they're not seen as fully human and having the value to experience that full life that these medical treatments can give them. It's not a cost to the U.S. government. It's just cruelty. Well, let me ask you this. Is it a cost? I mean, in terms of the uh, visa expiring, how are these individuals getting back to their respective countries? We don't know. Okay. They haven't given them that indication. It was like, hey, you have 33 days. And so we don't know that they will be physically removed, but they may be. Yeah. So, you know, it speaks to um, uh, just a a variety of, of, of policy, if you will, and how we are treating individuals as a country, because bottom line is it's the administration doing it, but it's as a country. And I think about Hurricane Dorian and the numbers of individuals that are unaccounted for, the death toll that is rising. I think about the fact that so many uh, are being turned away and not giving temporary uh, status so that they can escape an island that is in ruins. Um, you know, although there are more than six, seven hundred islands in the Bahamas, you know, we, we are talking about the ones that were ruined. This is not a good look. Uh, and, and, you know, just from a human humanitarian standpoint, I'd love it if the United Nations there's another one, but United Nations is certainly the one that I was I was thinking of. You know, it's just it's 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 something that I wish I wish someone would stand step in and we didn't even have immigration laws in this country until after World War II. And we only put those in place because the US government turned away Jewish refugees. You got it right at 10 minutes. So before we do our name drop, I just want to simply say um, I, I thank Clear Company for allowing me to come out this uh, this week to speak um, for our listeners. We didn't get a chance to talk about this, but there is a new Miss Monopoly game. Go out and have some fun and uh, perhaps consider gaining the game, putting it in your family, especially if you have children. It's a game that focuses on pay inequality. We 
we think that that could certainly be fun. Uh, Julie, I want to tip my hat to you because I love the fact that we were able to hop on with no preparation. You guys, we are we are working on building our chemistry, building our ability to deliver. And I tip my hat to you absolutely, absolutely each and every week uh, because we continue to do this and we had fun doing it even today uh, without any preparation. Who are your name drops this week if you have any? My only name drop this week is to Mr. Tim Sackett, who is sending me a shirt um, that I'm super excited about and I'll post a picture on social when I get it. And so let me tell you what I told him when I saw him in Boston. I said, you do know uh, that if in fact you send that shirt to Julie, she is going to wear it, period. All the time. (laughs) (laughs) He he said, he said, I think I know. Uh, And then we kind (laughs) of like tipped our our glasses to one another and we smiled. We were like, yep, she's absolutely going to wear it. (laughs) My hat tip uh, or name drop goes out to uh, some individuals, Jerry Crisp and Chris Hoyt uh, and Shannon Pritchett. I love what they are doing now with Career Crossroads. She uh, recently joined uh, Career Crossroads is going to be doing some work with them uh, and that team. And then the other uh, announcement that I appreciated this week was George LaRock uh, is getting busy with the Unleashed team, the uh, uh, Unleashed America team with China Gorman and Mr. Mark Coleman. So I appreciated both of those announcements. Congratulations to Shannon Pritchett, Pritchard and to Mr. George LaRock. That's all I have outside of the fact that you can catch me this Sunday on Sirius XM channel 126 at 1 p.m. Eastern, where I have Mr. Tom Kenny on, CEO of Smash Fly, and we had a bomb conversation. He rocked with me for almost the entire show. I, I, actually, you know what? He rocked with me for the entire show. And it's so refreshing, Julie, to talk to people who genuinely want to shift the narrative. If you have Sirius XM, I highly encourage you to listen at 1 p.m. the Sunday channel 126. I would say that we are ghost. See ya. Thanks for listening to Crazy and the King. I'm Julie Sowash with my co-host, Torin Ellis. Follow us on social media, but you can also now find Crazy and the King on Facebook at our website, crazyandtheking.com, or follow our hashtag like you have been. This episode was produced by me, Julie Sowash. Our music is by the amazing DJ Cells straight out of Baltimore. And if you like our podcast, please rate it and share it with a friend. See ya. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.